Good morning. Why don't we take a minute and pray before we jump into our subject. I think it's good to just have a mindset before we get into the Word of God that our hearts are prepared, just a way in which we approach uh, God's Word. It's uh, very good for us. So let's just take a minute and pray and ask God to speak to us. Lord, we, we do acknowledge Your Word, and we want to be ones who grab a hold of it. We want to be ones whose lives are changed by the power of Your Word. And so we ask you to speak to us. We ask you, Lord, to help us to apply the things that we'll be talking about to our lives as we talk about celebrating you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin by reading a uh, Thanksgiving poem about a turkey. It goes this way. The turkey shot out of the oven and rocketed into the air. It knocked every plate off the table and partly demolished a chair. It ricocheted into a corner and burst with a deafening boom, then splattered all over the kitchen, completely obscuring the room. It stuck to the walls and the windows. It totally coated the floor. There was turkey attached to the ceiling where there'd never been turkey before. It blanketed every appliance. It smeared every saucer and bowl. There wasn't a way I could stop it. That turkey was out of control. I scraped and I scrubbed with displeasure and thought with chagrin as I mopped there, there must, I, that I'd never again stuff a turkey with popcorn that hadn't been popped. <laughs> I trust none of us would, would try that. Uh, today we're going to wrap up our series about keeping calm. The first week of this series, Josh was talking about how we should keep calm and say no. Uh, during this time of year, so many times we're just being pulled in so many directions, so many things like shopping and holiday preparations, things that consume our time, and we get so distracted by these things that we forget what it's about. But what if we had permission to just say no to some of these things so that we might enjoy the holidays more, but also enjoy our, our relationship with God more? Use this time of year to sit at the feet of Jesus. Second week of the series, I talked about the fact that holidays and people go hand in hand, and so there are opportunities during this time of year to begin thinking more about other people. Of course, this is the time of year people tend to think of others. But we wanna have this mindset of serving other people, be calm and serve, look for opportunities wherever you are to make a difference in people's lives. I quoted from uh, the Scottish novelist J.M. Barry, who said, those who bring sunshine into the lives of others cannot keep it from themselves. And then last week, I talked about the special opportunities we have during this time of year to share our faith with other people. There are a couple times during the calendar year in which much of the world is focused on Jesus. And I'm convinced that most people know the Christmas story or the Easter story. They know about Jesus, but they don't know him personally. And to me, this is the most important thing in all the world, that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ because through faith in Christ, our sins are removed. He was dying in our place and for our sins so that through faith in him, we could have eternal life. But most people don't realize that they need to say yes to Jesus. They need to put their trust in him to be their savior. Today, my takeaway is this, keep calm and party on. Now, that might seem um, a little bit odd. Most of the time when we think of Christians, we don't think of parties. It sounds like an oxymoron, like Christians and parties don't go hand in hand. Part of the problem, of course, is that you've got a particular kind of party in mind, I suppose. 
But I believe as Christians, we have reasons to be joyful that others that don't have Christ don't. We have reasons to celebrate. For example, that our sins are forgiven. Through faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. Jesus paid the price for you so that you could receive forgiveness as a free gift. In addition, our eternal destiny is secure through Christ. Well, just knowing what happens when we die is a, is a burden that's removed from us that should allow us to be joyful. I think people that um, don't have this assurance, it reminds me of a story of an airline that supposedly was going down. It's not really a true story, but, but they came over the speaker and everyone's sitting there, you know, and, and all of a sudden over the speaker, the pilot said something to the effect, oh, the plane's gonna crash. I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. We're all, we're all gonna die, but enjoy yourselves. In the meantime, three drinks and food for everybody. Well, if you knew the plane was going down, it'd be hard to celebrate if you knew that's what the future was, but we have a future that's secure through Christ. Also, our relationship with Christ means we're never alone. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is always with us. We are his children. And our joy and values as Christians are not tied to the things of this world. We're looking ahead, as Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven. And so we have so much to look forward to, and yet Christians are not known for being good at celebrating. We're not known for our joy. Oftentimes, Christians are known for other things. I mean, if you ask the average person, what do you think of when you think of Christians? Well, they, they might say rules, or they might think hypocrisy, or they might think politics, or, or judgment, a judgmental attitude. Those are the things that people associate with Christianity, but what we should be known for, I think, first of all, is love, and second, we should be known for our joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The evidence that God's Spirit lives within us is joy, and we need to express this. Now, I understand why maybe as Christians, we don't have this mindset of being joyful all the time. I'm reminded when I was growing up, uh, since my dad was the pastor, we went to church every week. And I would arrive at the church service and I'd walk into the, what was called the sanctuary and the organ would be playing real softly. And you were supposed to be really, really quiet. You know, you're not supposed to talk when that organ's going and you're supposed to be, you know, really quiet. It reminds me of the time I accidentally dropped a bunch of marbles from my pocket. They hit the floor, bounced, and rolled down across to the front of the sanctuary. It's like, oh, I was waiting for lightning to strike me because this is church. And I understand the spirit behind that. I mean, this idea that we come into God's presence with a certain amount of reverence, you know, I think that's what the spirit of it was. But is that how we're to approach our God? If you came to the night of worship, you heard as Josh shared from Psalm 100, this is how I think we're supposed to approach God in Psalm 100. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. He's saying, listen, when you come in my presence, you should come in a joyful way, in a thankful way, filled up with that. That's how we approach our God, because that's a reflection of our faith. 
When Christians go about their lives kind of moping around and we're unhappy and we don't have joy, it does not reflect well on our faith or on our Creator. God has given us so much for which we can be thankful, and we need to be. Now, our subject here today, though, is more celebrations or more about parties, not just being joyful or thankful. And as Christians, of course, the way we party needs to be different. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible that says, well, when you party, do it this way or anything. But you have verses like this from Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, where Paul wrote, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, people can celebrate with or without God. And we don't look for these other things with a celebration that does not include God. Ultimately, I don't think there's much to it. In fact, I wonder how ones who do not have a relationship with God go through this life. Because in our God, I think, is our greatest joy. Being attached to Him is the thing that leads to the greatest joy. Solomon was one of the wisest men who ever lived. He wrote in Ecclesiastes 2, 24 and 25, there's nothing better for man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? That's, the, that's what I wonder, who can apart from our God? Now, specifically, specifically here this morning, I want to talk about some reasons for why we, we want to celebrate, why we have something to have a party over. Now, we're going to look mostly in the Old Testament because we're going to look at some examples of the celebrations that the nation of Israel went through. As we read our Bible, you realize that in the Old Testament, they had at least seven major feasts or celebrations or holidays, holy days, days of remembrance where they remembered God and, and where they celebrated. Uh, when you get to the New Testament, we're not required, of course, to celebrate those Old Testament feasts. And so you wonder, well, what do we do as Christians? Before we're out, though, today we're going to see that I believe that those feasts all pointed to Jesus, and so in a sense, this is the continuation of a joy that we should have that they had in the Old Testament. But why should Christians celebrate? Let me give you three reasons. The first one is that I think celebrations bring joyful balance to our lives. It's, it's a balance that we need in our lives. Another or a Greek saying, put it this way, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. You know, if, if, if everything is always uptight, it, something's gonna snap is the idea. I think holidays, joyful occasions, things that we can celebrate, parties are things that allow us to pull away from the drudgery of life, the drudgery of work. Charles Swindoll put it this way, there's more to being a cat than tracking mice. In other words, there's more to life than just work or more to life than just survival, that God wants us to enjoy life and to celebrate what he's given to us. Now, again, the nation of Israel had seven main feasts or celebrations, but even before that, God instituted this Sabbath day. And I know I've talked about this before, but I want to pause once again to just put another reminder for us about this idea of celebrating once a week. Because in some ways, I think what we could do is have a celebration once a week, which is like the Sabbath day. Then during the year, we have our holidays or vacations that we take. 
And, um, and then once a year, I'm sorry, once a year we do the vacation, but then we have the holidays, and so throughout the year we scatter these occasions where we can celebrate and enjoy life. But in Deuteronomy 5.12, God talked about the Sabbath day, and of the Ten Commandments, he spends more time on this one. And I realize, again, we're not under the Old Testament law, but there's a principle at work here that even before God instituted this thing called the Sabbath day, he himself rested. He himself ceased from his work. In Deuteronomy 5.12, though, God told the Israelites, be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. And then skipping to verse 15. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. See, the argument that he's making here is that when you were in Egypt, you were slaves. Seven days a week, and it was horrible. I don't want you trading work for slavery. You've been set free now. I want you to recognize that. It's because working seven days a week, I realize there are seasons where this is impractical. I mean, there are seasons in our life where we can't just stop. But in principle, this idea of ceasing, getting refreshed once a week, is something that could make a difference in our lives, a Sabbath day. And it brings some balance to our lives from the slavery of work which we don't want to give ourselves to that. There's more to this life than working. Solomon, by the way, talked about that as well. He talked about people who labored and labored and labored and then had no joy in their life. And maybe we know people like that. Maybe you're someone like that where you realize, yeah, that's me. Life is just about working, you know, just work, 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 and I'm, I'm never happy. I wake up the next day, I go do the same thing. What if we could stop? What if we could celebrate? That's what really Sabbath day is like. My wife and I began honoring a Sabbath day probably about three years ago, and it changed our lives. On the Sabbath day, we do nothing we don't want to do. It's really wonderful. I don't feel like I have to do it. I don't have to fix anything on the Sabbath day. My Sabbath day is Friday, by the way. It's a time of rest. It's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of reflection. It's a time to remember my God. It's a time where I, I suddenly get a, a vision for the future and hope for the future. We need to be stopping to do that. And I think holidays and vacations help us do that as well. But celebrations bring joyful balance to our lives. But there's a second reason why we celebrate. It serves to unite us with other people. You can't have, I don't think anyway, a party by yourself. I don't know, I mean, is it a party if it's just you alone? What is it about a party? Well, it's with other people. And part of the reason that God had the nation of Israel celebrate all these feasts was that these were occasions to come together and remember what God had done, to celebrate together, to be with other people. It's part of the joy of the occasion, sharing it with other people. It's just different than doing things by yourself. A couple of weeks ago, I was able to go to the WVU football game. We lost that game, but I had a good time. I just enjoyed it, why? Because I was with about 50, 60,000 other fans. Just being surrounded by other people, every, every progress we made, every touchdown, everything we did that was positive, people were just cheering and you were part of that and we were celebrating together. And, and there's something about that. This is, by the way, also why I think we meet together on the weekends. 
why it's important that you actually join with us and not just always watch online because there's a different dynamic when you're with other people. And parties and celebrations allow us to do that. Now again, the nation of Israel had seven main feasts. A website called PrayForZion.org put together a nice chart that I want to show you. And I want to make an observation about these feasts because I think they're all fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, they had four spring holidays. They had three in the fall. And then in the summer, there was a gap. And so in the spring, they had the Passover that they celebrated. Of course, that's when they celebrated when the angel of death passed over the homes that had the blood applied to the doorpost. That was the night they were set free from slavery. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There was the first fruits. 50 days later was what was called Pentecost. When you get to the fall holidays, you've got the Feast of Trumpets, you've got the Day of Atonement, and you've got the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I, I kind of wish we had these feasts or these festivals. And not all of them were celebrations, by the way. The Day of Atonement was a, a, a time of reflection, of deep mourning, of, of repentance. But in a sense, I think we pick up this heritage because we believe that the Passover reflects Jesus' death. He was arrested and crucified on the Passover. He was the Passover lamb who shed his blood for us so that we'd be set free from sin. Not slavery to a country, but slavery to sin. Unleavened bread represents his burial, Jesus' burial, where they remove and hide all the leaven. And Jesus was buried for us, but then he rose again from the dead. The feast of first fruits is a picture of the resurrection. He was the first fruits of the dead, the first one to rise from the dead so that those who put their trust in him will experience that as well. And then there's the Feast of Pentecost. That's the day that the church was born. The Feast of Ingathering, where there's a big harvest. And we believe that's when the Holy Spirit came. Now, there's a season right now where we're, we believe we're in the, what's called the church age. And so if you look at the bottom there in the middle, we're in the summer. And there are no festivals in the Jewish calendar for that. But then when you get to the fall, these last three, I think, are coming up. For those of you that are in our, our, the Revelation study, which is continuing tonight, I think these next three festivals are coming. It's something we have to look forward to. Feast of Trumpets. Jesus said the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will rise, and we will join the Lord in the air at the trumpet. I think the Feast of Trumpets is the return of Jesus Christ in an event that's called the rapture. Then you've got the Day of Atonement. I think the nation of Israel is going to repent and realize their Messiah, that they crucified their Messiah. And there are passages in both the Old and New Testament that talk about a day of deep repentance, that they're going to weep as if someone lost their own child. Suddenly they're going to see that's the Day of Atonement. And then finally, the Feast of Tabernacles is a feast in which God is going to as the Bible puts a tabernacle with us. We believe that that's the millennial kingdom when Jesus Christ is going to reign. And so there's a, a very real sense in which these celebrations are things that we're, we're a part of. It's just that oftentimes we don't take the time to stop and to celebrate. But these things would unite the nation of Israel around very specific things. But there's a third reason why we celebrate, and that is to bring glory to God. The Apostle Paul was writing to the believers who lived in the city of Thessalonica, and he wrote these words in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. He said, rejoice always. 
Pray constantly, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Every once in a while, someone will say to me, well, what do I, how do I know what God's will is? Well, this is one of those verses that's very, very clear. That it's God's will for us to rejoice always, to be praying constantly, to be giving thanks in everything. Which, by the way, it suggests to me this is a choice we make. When we talk about celebration or rejoicing or being joy-filled, we're not talking about a personality type. If we were, I wouldn't qualify. I'm not one of those people that gets real excited no matter what. I mean, I was telling some people about a month ago, we were driving and um, I don't know how the subject came up, but I said, you know, if I won the lottery, like a million dollars or something, which I don't invest in the lottery, but if I did and I won, and they came to me, they'd be very disappointed. I'd say, yeah, I won. I, I wouldn't be this person that's jumping up and down, I won, I don't care. I don't get up and down. It's not a personality we're talking about, but as Christians choose to rejoice and be thankful, I think, again, we reflect our God. When we walk around, moping around, it's, it, we're, we're not demonstrating faith in our God. In a sense, we're saying to the whole world, my God's not taking care of me. And so Paul wrote here, this is God's will. It's God's will that, that we be joyful, that we be thankful, that we express this, that we choose to give thanks. And again, I think it's a choice. Around Thanksgiving would be a good time to put together a list of all these things for which you are thankful and to thank God for them, specific things, because I think we overlook it. The Jewish nation had so many different words for joy and happiness. Uh, some time ago, several years ago, I read that there were more words for joy in the, in the Hebrew language than any other language. I don't know for sure if that's true. I tried to verify that. I, I sent out a question on a forum that's called Quora. Some of you are familiar with that, but it's a forum where you can have discussions with people, typically intellectual types of discussions. And so I put my question out there. I submitted the question. Are there more words for joy in the Hebrew language than any other? And several people responded. Um, no one answered the question directly, yes there are, no there aren't. But one person who responded to my question was a woman named Goldie Milgram. She's the executive director of an organization called Reclaiming Judaism. She said, I'm aware of these. Hananah, which means enjoyment or deriving benefit from something specific, so you enjoy something specific. Simcha, it means full-blown happiness. Gila means a wave of happiness that comes and moves through you during a period of time. Ditsa, that's a word that's related to the type of joy that you have at a dance. I was so happy, I danced a jig would be the idea. Rina, it means to be boisterously joyful, shouting out. She writes, it's like woohoo, yay, hallelujah. And Chedva, it's joy of strength and radiant quality divine. Something that she noted about these words is that many, most of them, most of them are actually very, very common Hebrew names. People actually name their kids for joy and for happiness. I think that's the spirit of it. Of course, even in the, in the Jewish nation, the symbol of joy was wine, which is why Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. It was the introduction of this joyful new age that he was initiating for us. Another scholar wrote, who has a PhD from Harvard, he said, most of the words of joy 
occur in one of the seven blessings recited at a traditional Jewish wedding. And so if you go to the wedding, there'll be seven blessings. Almost every one of these words is used for that. To show joy, joy, joy. Our God wants us to be joyful. But I'm convinced that part of the reason why is to bring glory and honor to Him, to glorify Him through celebration. Three of these seven feasts, every male of a certain age was required to attend. You were required to attend three of these. And in Exodus 23, 14 to 17, we read about the reason why. In verse 17, we read, celebrate a festival, God said, in my honor three times a year. And that's the bottom line. I want you to celebrate in my honor three times a year. Stop, give thanks to me. And then he goes on to say, observe the festival of unleavened bread as I commanded you. Of course, that's related to the Passover. You are to eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib because you came out of Egypt in that month. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. They were supposed to bring a gift when they celebrated that one. Verse 16, also observe the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your produce from what you sow in the field. That's the second one, the festival of harvest. And the third one is observe the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your produce from the field. Three times a year, all your males are to appear before the Lord your God. Now, what's interesting to me is that it not only says we're to honor God through these festivals, but it gives the specific thing you're celebrating. And so the first one was a celebration of the fact that they were delivered from slavery. And again, I think that physical deliverance from slavery is only a picture of the greater deliverance that we experience through Christ, forgiveness of our sin. The second one was this festival of harvest. At the beginning of the season, when you got your first of the produce, you'd celebrate that. Thank you, God, another year, and you have provided for us. And you give the first of your fruit, first of your crops to God. And then the third one was the Feast of Ingathering, which came at the end. And that one was, again, a way of saying, thank you, God, you provided for our needs again this year. You've taken care of us. Thank you for the crops and what you've given to us. I think it's important that we celebrate these things. We're not, not again under the Old Testament law, but I think there's some principles here about remembering our God and pulling away and realizing that God wants us to celebrate and to enjoy Him. What should we do with this? Well, I think first of all, for some of us, I think um, I would encourage you again to consider setting aside a Sabbath day. Again, it may not be possible in your schedule right now, but it can be a life-changing thing to set aside a day where you say, I will, not, I will not work, I will trust God to take care of things while I'm enjoying myself, and you do the things you enjoy. If you love going for walks, if you love reading books, if you want to go to a movie, or just, just enjoying life, spending extra time with God in prayer and reading of His Word, I encourage you to put that as part of your schedule. Uh, but also, I think these holidays, especially the three that are coming up, provide opportunities for us to, to celebrate Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving Day, I usually will pull away at some time and just spend some time thanking God for all the things for which I'm thankful. I would encourage you even to consider writing them down, things for which you are thankful, and set aside some time to say, thank, thank you, God because we are grateful, but we don't express our gratitude. But Christmas, again, is a, a tremendous opportunity to celebrate. I've heard sometimes Christians speak against celebrating Christmas and Easter because of various associations with pagan religions or whatever. I think that's frankly ridiculous. 
We have something to celebrate, the birth of our, our Savior who came into the world in a most remarkable way, the Son of God and God the Son born into this world as a baby to take on flesh and blood for us. That is worth celebrating. And then the new year. I love celebrating the new year. And you know why? It's a new start. I just love the fact that there's a new start. Now, every day is kind of like that. You know, God's blessing is new every day. And every week is kind of like that, and every month is a little bit like that, but there's something about the new year that says, regardless of the failures of the past year, regardless of what I did wrong or the things I'm not happy about, or even the good things I did, I am looking ahead and excited about what God has for me this coming year. And it becomes an occasion, I think, for celebration. Now, what are some of the elements of celebration? Well, I think it's about enjoying. I mean, really, it's about finding joy in our God. But here's some specific things that I think we enjoy during this time of year that were part of these festivals for the most part. Family and friends, celebrating our relationships with other people, just really being in the moment, enjoying those people that you're with. Food, that was a big part of most of the celebrations in the Jewish calendar was food, food and more food. They loved it. It was music. Celebration often includes music. I think part of it is rest. I think part of it is reflection, especially around New Year's. I do a lot more reflection. Part of it is prayer. And a big part of it is just being in the moment because I think some of us just don't know how to let go, let loose, to just enjoy the day and enjoy what God has done and set aside all the junk so that we could celebrate our God because we have so much to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, thank you that... You've given us so many reasons to be thankful. We thank you especially for your son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who died in our place and for our sins so that through him we could experience eternal life. We are grateful. And we're so glad that we know you. We're so glad we're never alone, that you're with us. You will never leave us. You will never abandon us. Thank you, Lord, that because of you we have hope. And we do thank you that you've provided for our needs this past year. You've taken care of us. You continue to bless us time and time again. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Even when we repeatedly sin in areas, oh Lord, thank you that when we acknowledge our sin and because we've acknowledged our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And so we do thank you and help us, oh Lord, to remember you during this time of year as we celebrate. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.